Amen. Well, good morning, church. It is great to be here with you guys. I just want to thank the Browns for inviting uh, me to speak here this morning. I'm super excited uh, to just be able to share with you uh, what God has uh, put on my heart this morning. And so uh, before I begin, I'd like to start us off with a word of prayer as uh, we continue uh, to look at his word this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come together as a family to worship you. Father, to hear songs that remind us of you and the work that you seek to do in our lives. Father, we thank you for being able to read your scripture. And Father, get a deeper understanding of who you are and what you call us to be. Father, we're grateful to be able to pray to pray for the different needs, to come before you and put everything that's on our heart before you. And Father, we're grateful to be able to look at your word and be moved by it, be inspired by it, Father. And sometimes, Father, to be corrected and even disturbed by it, Father. I pray, Lord, that even though there's just one person speaking here, Father, I pray that you speak to each and every heart here this morning. Father, I pray that, Father, this not be a time that's limited by any human ability, but Father, that you speak to each and every heart here this morning at the exact same time. Father, I just pray that you move us. You inspire us. You call us higher, Father. You help us to see your greatness and what you call us to. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray all this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 And so the title of my message this morning is, Live a Life Worthy of the Calling. And I'm going to be preaching out mostly out of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, you can start turning there, though the scriptures will be on the screen in a little bit. Uh, but um, I want to talk a little bit about what this looks like. You know, uh, little background first on Ephesians. In order to really understand even chapter 4, you know, the first three chapters uh, are kind of one theme, and then chapters 4 through 6 are a bit of a different theme. And so chapters 1 through 3 are about what God has already done for us. And then chapters 4 through 6 are more about how we should respond to what God has already done for us. Some commentators say chapters 1 through 3 are doctrine. Chapters 4 through 6 are duty. So we're going to be reading chapter 4 this morning. And I would encourage you, you know, this lands right where it needs to land when you really study out chapters 1 through 3. And I would encourage you to do that on your own time. We're going to go right into chapter 4 and see how it turns from God telling us what he has done to now what he is in fact calling us to. God showing us all that he has done and now showing us what our role is in the response to what he has already done for us. And so uh, you could uh, look on the screen. It'll be there. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. And you know, in, in a lot of translations, just so you know, it starts off with the word, therefore. The reason I mention that is whenever you see that word, it's very important that you go back and read what's before. Because that is what informs what we're about to read here 
in chapter 4. So verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know, it starts off really powerfully here. And, you know, you, you see the, the oneness of it all that God is calling us to. But he starts off in the very beginning of this chapter saying, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let's talk about living a life worthy of the calling. The Bible here urges us to live a life worthy of the calling. When you think about this call, obviously if, if the scriptures are saying, hey, I want you to live a life worthy of this calling, then the calling is no ordinary calling. It's a high calling. It's one that demands we respect it and that we reflect it through our lives. See, we can struggle to capture what this actually looks like. I think we can think about it theoretically, but sometimes it's very difficult. What does this actually look like? I know at least for me, I struggle at times to really think about what does this actually look like. I know I don't deserve salvation. None of us do. None of us are worthy of being saved. None of us are worthy of even this call. So what, so what, is, what are we being called to? God is not trying to play a trick on us. So what, in fact, are we being called to? You know, no matter how much good I can do, I can never earn my salvation. Chapters 1 through 3 clearly state we are saved by grace and it is a gift from God. Yet, we are urged to live a life Worthy of the calling we have received. So our challenge is to really, well, what does this look like? Now, let me ask you guys a question. Raise your hand if you've been a disciple for more than 20 years. Just raise your hand. Wow, that's quite a bit of you. Okay? Raise your hand if you've been a disciple more than 10 years. Okay? Raise your hand if you've been a disciple less than 10. Okay? What I'm about to share with you, I think, will really, really resonate with those of us who have been around longer than 20 years. But it applies to all of us. You know, um, this past, last, I've lost track of time. I've had a rough uh, last 10 months. As uh, perhaps you know, our son was in a really bad accident. And uh, time is just kind of, I don't, I feel like I've lived three years in the last 10 months. Uh, but, you know, Last summer, we were at 
thrive in Providence, Rhode Island. And I don't know if you remember this, but it really stuck out to me. There was a brother sharing about really needing to plant a church in Poland. And he was sharing, said, you know, yeah, you know, we wanted to do this, but, you know, essentially he said nobody really came forward to go. You know, I don't know if that went over people's head, but that made me sad. I sat there and I said, really? You know, and let me just say, I'll confess, my first thoughts were very judgmental. I thought, how come nobody could respond to this? What are y'all doing? That was my first response. How how come y'all too busy to do this? Then I started to think, what about me? I read the announcements on Disciples Today. I knew about the church planning, actually. Did I ever pray about it? No. Never. Did I ever even announce it in my church to let people know maybe God has put it on someone's heart? Nope. So who was I to look around and say, well, what was everybody else thinking? What was I thinking? And see, all of this brought me to a question that I think we must all ask ourselves first and then collectively as a group. Have we lost our love for the mission? See, there was a time, and if you've been around longer than 20 years, you know this to be true. There was a time where there would have been a waiting list to go to Poland. A waiting list. And it wouldn't have been a list of only Polish disciples. It would have been people ready to go because they love the mission and they want to go and do something great for God. There would have been all kinds of disciples willing to go. So what's happened? Now, before you start thinking about, oh, I hope so-and-so is listening to this, I want you to listen to this. Because I know how this goes. When I'm in the audience and somebody's preaching, my brain goes, oh, I hope brother so-and-so is here. I hope sister so-and-so is here. Refrain from that. Look in the mirror first. Where's your heart at? Something's got to be wrong if as a fellowship of churches worldwide, We are collectively dull to the mission. And the first part to actually make a change, you've got to understand that you've got a problem. And see, I think we we dance around and we kind of create some different things so that we could sleep at night. But in reality, you've got to look in the mirror and say, where's my heart at? Do I love the mission as God does? You know, what I've seen over the years, you know, we go through different stages as people. We go through different stages of maturity. When we first get baptized, we kind of all start at that place of zeal with little knowledge. We don't know a whole lot, but man, we're excited for the Lord, right? We don't really know, you know, all the scripture, but, you know, we, we are zealous for God. We're excited to come to church 
No one's dragging us there. We're excited to be there. Hey, I'm, I'm saved now. We're, we're excited about it. We have that zeal. I believe as a church, collectively, this is kind of who we were in general 20 years ago. Now, l- let me just say this. I'm speaking in generalities. Of course, there are pockets, there are people this may not apply to. But for the rest of us, that we were there, there was a lot of zeal and in some ways little knowledge. And the way you saw it was, we knew the Bible studies, but didn't really know the Bible. See, that's a sign of, we knew, okay, well, we got to keep doing this. And so there was something that was, was going. We were zealous, but we needed to really grow in our knowledge of God. We kind of knew theoretically about grace. Like, I know it's somewhere in the Bible, like it's there, but we need to get stuff done. And that's kind of where we were. You know, we understood, we kind of knew that in the distance, but practically speaking, we were zealously going after things to the point that you felt like if you don't do this, like you've lost your salvation. And so, you know, we we, we kind of, you know, went through a, a change. We progressed, or or should I say, God delivered a collective smackdown to let us know that changes needed to be made. And we had to learn that a performance-based gospel or a performance-based salvation is not biblical. And we had to learn that. We had to learn that it was immature and contrary to what God wanted from us to create a culture where you felt like you weren't enough unless you did 20 gazillion things. But I believe in order to fix that, we created a very different kind of problem. And we moved on, we moved on to a new stage where it became knowledge with little zeal. Now we know our Bibles a little bit more. We know we're saved by grace. We know we don't have to do certain things. We're we're a little bit better in the Bible. We have in certain aspects of it. We know that our works will never be good enough to save us. So we've concluded that we just won't work very often. And honestly, that's not a whole lot better than when we started off in the first place. Especially if we're sitting here today thinking we figured it out. We definitely have it. Our lives tell a very different story. I think many of us have simply adapted to what I call a comfortable Christianity. It's a carefully crafted comfortable Christianity. It's a Christianity based in what you will not do because you don't have to. That's what it's based on. And I'm going to say that again because this is going to go right over your head. It's a Christianity based on what you don't have to do. It's a safe Christianity. It's, well, I don't have to do anything crazy for God like I used to. Because, you know, I don't really have to do that. I'm saved by grace. 
So we adapt and we build the Christianity carefully constructed, built on what we won't do for God or won't do in our walk instead of on what God wants us to be. Here's the question I have for you. If Jesus examines your life, not the person next to you, not the person that you got a bad attitude with, I'm talking about you. What would he see? Would he see someone living a life worthy of the calling? Or at least seeking it? Or would he see someone seeking to live a life as comfortable as possible? See, part of following Jesus, the very essence of it, is to be uncomfortable. We're called, it says, take up your cross daily and deny yourself. The essence of walking with Jesus is to be uncomfortable. In fact, in John 14, when Jesus is talking about the Spirit, he calls, he says, you know, the comforter will come. Why send the comforter if I'm already comfortable? The whole point is you're supposed to be uncomfortable. But oftentimes, we latch on to simply what's comfortable for us. Well, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. You know, I just want to, you know, well, I don't have to do that. You know, I'm saved by grace. And we don't realize what we've done is we've gone from one extreme to another. And we've got to ask ourselves, is that a life worthy of the calling? You know, we can spend a lifetime really getting down to the nitty-gritty of what that is, but I can tell you that's not it. Being comfortable is not it. Let me ask you this question. Do you love the mission like God does? That's a question that really matters. Do you love the mission like God does? I want you to know, I'm not even asking you, do you love the mission like you used to? Because I don't really know what your motives were back then. I'm saying, do you love the mission like God does? I got another one for you. Do you love the church like God does? You know, one of the things that really annoys me is when people have an issue with somebody in the church And then they walk around like, oh, the church this and the church that. You talk about yourself in the third person because aren't you part of the church? (laughs) Do you normally do that? But, you know, if something exciting is going on, oh, my church. Oh, my church is doing this and that. But if somebody, one person throws you, oh, the church. What is that? I believe we still have disciples, especially if you've been around a long time. There's a, there's a layer of cynicism that lingers, and you don't know it's enslaving you. It's holding you back from what God wants you to be. It's holding you back from truly living a life worthy of the calling. You know, this book of Ephesians, he goes into great lengths to let you know this is who he is. He saved us. Therefore, go and live a life worthy 
of the calling. That's how it starts off. But let's keep reading further down. In, uh, down by uh, verse 9, it says, What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended in the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is a passage, if you've been around, you've read this before, you've heard many sermons on this before, but I want to talk about my next point is Trust the process. See, this passage, what it tells us in these verses is that God has set up leadership to equip the church to be part of this process. And he says that we're to mature one another. That it's the responsibility of the church that they would, it would be a living organism that's designed to really mature one another. So here's the deal. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are called to be a part of that process. This is not just for leaders. If you are a disciple, you, the one you look at in the mirror every morning, you are called to be a part of the process. Guess what? You are not excluded because you're not a leader. You're not excluded because you're not experienced. You're not excluded because you've been hurt before. You're not excluded because you're too busy. You as a disciple, you signed on for this. When you said Jesus is Lord, this is it. You signed up to get together with this ragtag bunch and say, okay, we're going to mature one another. And I'm going to be part of that process. And guess what? This is not a Westchester thing. This is not a Central Jersey thing. This is not an ICOC thing. This is a God thing. This is something we have to embrace because this is what God called us to. As disciples, God expects you to be part of the process to mature the church. You know, when I think about us as a church, I think there was a time where we didn't really struggle to speak the truth to one another. Now, we struggled to speak the truth in love many times. But we spoke the truth. And so I believe what happened was in an effort, again, to fix the problem of not speaking the truth in love, some Christians have become conflict avoiders, so they don't say the truth at all. And is that really the fix? Or are we in the just as bad a situation just coming from a different extreme? 
The fix to that is to speak the truth in love, not to stop speaking the truth. You know, I, I've talked to disciples over the years. Well, you know, in the past, you know, I would go to midweek to be a people pleaser. And so, you know, I've just decided, you know, if I, I don't feel like going, I'm not going to go. So is that really the fix? Maybe, maybe you need to get your heart right and do it for God. Like, that's the fix. But see, I think as people, we could go from one extreme to another and think we arrived and fixed it. We think today, oh, we've got, we're better off today. We done figured it out. Not like in the old days when we did X, Y, Z. We just as messed up today. We got to look in the mirror. We got to look in the mirror and say, where am I at with this kind of thing? The proper mature fix to be part of this process is to speak the truth in love. Now, let me tell you, recently... I was looking at some worldwide numbers for our fellowship. I got to tell you, it was sad. Just going to keep it real with you. It was sad. Looking at the baptisms and restorations worldwide. And let me just say this. Numbers never tell you the whole story. But they definitely tell you a part of the story. When I looked at the worldwide numbers, I saw something that was so alarming and so sad. Basically, in order for us, this is collectively last year as a, as a movement, as a fellowship of churches, last year, for us to grow by two people, we have to baptize 16 people. Now, I, I need you to really marinate on this because this is pretty, pretty bad. In order for us to grow by two people, so if we want to go from 200 to 202, we got to baptize 16 people just to end up at 202. Something's wrong with that. And I, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I've got some pretty good clues in some areas I know that we need to grow in maturing. You know, part of it surely is that, you know, we got to obviously love the mission as God does. Part of it is that we really need to be active in planting and watering but, but I want to focus on something that involves this process. Because I believe there's a breakdown in this process in order for us to be able to bleed just as many people as we bring in. Something is broken in the process if people are leaving as fast as we baptize them. Something is wrong in the process. This is not the way God designed it. So we've got to ask ourselves, am I part of the problem or am I part of the process? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Why are we not maturing people the way that we should? Now listen, it's real easy. You could be in fellowship. And listen, I've been around. I, I get it. Sometimes I could tell when someone's in church and then they want to you know, you, they're, they're navigating through the fellowship to see if they could get out the door before going deep. And they're like, okay, let me see if I could get out of here. Or, you know, if you've been around, you know just what jargon to say to kind of keep people at a distance. Oh, yeah, I had a great quiet time. Yeah, it was about this. Now, it was three weeks ago, but you didn't say that. And so you just, you just say it in the moment. Just in the moment. You just want to say in the moment because you know you need to get out this room. Because you don't want to get deep. Because you don't want to talk about what's really going on. And see, part of the problem is that you're messing up God's process. 
you are working against the hand of the Almighty God. Before you look at anybody else, ask yourself, am I part of the problem? If you think, if you're sitting here, you think you're above being part of the problem, guess what? You're the problem. All of us have to take a self-examination. Where am I at? You know, we came from Thrive. Two months later, you know, our son got hit by a car going 45 miles an hour. We spent two months in a hospital. I had all kinds of time to think, to pray, to process. And I'm like, God was marinating in my heart in a way. I came out of there like, oh, my goodness, what? where am I at? You know, sometimes God uses pain as part of that process to wake you up. Because sometimes we don't listen any other way. Sometimes he has to disturb us and wake us up and say, what are you doing? I believe if Jesus came back and saw some of our lives, he might literally say, what in the world is this? This is not the life I called you to. You know, um, speaking of the process, there's a picture uh, you'll see next here. This is the survivor tree. That's what it's called. This is a tree that was saved from the site of the Twin Towers, World Trade Center, from 9-11. It was uh, taken uh, somewhere upstate New York. It was nursed back to health. And then the next picture you see um, is it being planted in the new memorial. And, and Gloria and I, when the memorial first opened up, we went to the site. Um, before I went into the ministry in 2004, I worked about three blocks from the World Trade Center. I happened to be off that day. Uh, but, you know, that, that area is very familiar to me. And we went back there. And, you know, when you, when you went there at that time, there's like a row of trees, like just like this one. And, you know, they were just like lined up in rows. But for some reason, we were there and we see people were all circled around this tree. And I'm like, okay, what, you know, what's this about? Let's go see what's going on. And there's a, there's a person there, a guide, like a tour guide, explaining what the tree was. And so then I'm, as I get closer, now I'm close enough to see, well, this tree is a little different than the rest of them because it's got these wires and ropes holding the tree down. And, you know, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, and I'm like, are they stealing trees these days? Like, what's going on? Like, what's happening here? Do we need to tie the trees down? Is that that's what it's come to? And so I'm like, okay, well, let, let's figure out what, what's going on here. So the tour guide starts explaining. Well, the reason those wires are there is because they, they planted the tree. They were, after they nursed the health, they planted the tree. But it hadn't been there long enough for the roots to take hold. And so a storm came and literally blew it right off. And so what they decided to do is the only way this tree is going to survive is if we tie it down with these wires until it has time to mature, and so the roots hold it in place. We go to the next slide. That's a picture of the tree just last year. And I noticed there's no wires there anymore because now it's believed to be mature enough to withstand the storms. Here's the reality. We all need maturing. We all need wires, so to speak. 
We need people to hold us down, to help us to mature so that we could get really rooted in Christ. See, because you could be planted and not yet rooted. See, you could get baptized, but you're not really rooted in Christ. That takes time. That takes sacrifice. That takes help from the people around you. We've got to really understand that this is a process that God has set up. You know, I saw this tweet from Timothy Keller. I had to take a picture of it. He says, everyone says they want community and deep friendship. However, because it takes accountability and commitment, we run the other way. I believe this to be so true. So true. We want relationships. We want growth. But we're not willing to pay the price. When it's time to set up that time, we're too busy. We say we want these relationships. And I don't know about you, you know, being in Central Jersey, we've got this thing, you know, people could get real busy in suburbia. You got uh, school events and soccer events and you got this, that, and the other. And before you know it, you know, somebody wants to set some time with you and you're too busy. Are you part of the problem or are you part of the process? It's going to take you sacrificing time. See, we want growth without the challenges. We want growth without sacrificing any time. We want growth without being challenged. Say it to me nice or I'm not listening. We want growth without confessing those things in our heart that are not of God. We want it all. We want to grow and mature, but I don't really want to talk about what's going on in my heart. We want growth while maintaining a false image that we put together to make everybody feel like we've got it together. See, we want the resurrection without the cross. We want all the victories, but we don't want to pay the price to take part in the process that God decided would be the way for you to get there. I think we have to ask ourselves, am I a willing participant in this process? Am I a conflict avoider? Do I run? And I know, listen, I've heard it before. Oh, you don't understand. The last time I challenged someone, you know, they got mad at me, started posting stuff on Facebook about me. That's, I get it. I understand. Sometimes you speak the truth of love and you get burned. It happens. But you've got to trust the process. You know, I had a brother call me uh, about two months ago about a conversation I had with him seven years ago. Seven years ago. Now, I've got to tell you, you normally would think like, oh, man, was he holding a grudge that long? No, actually, it was actually the opposite. I had had a very tough conversation with him about, you know, him needing to take some time uh, and, and take his time with a, with a sister, and he kind of, you know, did his thing. He's still faithful. But he looked back and he said, you know, I kind of got mad at you when you said it. But you know what? Number one, thank you for saying it, because I know that was, it would have been easier not to say anything. And two, I wish I would have really listened to you. Seven years later. You know, and sometimes when you speak the truth and love to people, you don't get the response that you think. 
I'm thinking, you know, sometimes you speak the truth in love, and there's some ungrateful people. Like, listen, I, I'm trying to help you out. But, but you know, sometimes people are so ungrateful, and they, they fight you on it. You know, sometimes you're that person. You get mad at someone challenging you about something. Why are they all in my business? They're not in my life. That's, that's, a, new, that's a new age Christian thing. I, I, oh, you're not in my life? Where, where's that in the Bible exactly? Can you tell me that? Because, I mean, Ephesians 4, later on, it talks about we are all members of one another. It doesn't say we're members of one another if they're in your life. Because if they're in Jesus, they're in your life. That's just the way it works. So we could try to run from it, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. We've got to really examine. There is something broken down in this process if we're losing as many people as we are. There's something we have to examine about ourselves. And I, I think once we start getting into the hard issues, we'll start to see... We don't love the mission like we used to. We don't love the church like Jesus does. He was willing to give his life for the church. This same ragtag bunch Jesus was willing to die for. For you. For me. And when we're not in the right place heart-wise, it starts reflecting in the way we behave. So then we get an attitude if somebody wants to have a deep talk with us or we seek to try to run away from really having these types of conversations. But we're called to something different. And we have to remember that this life worthy of the calling, it can't be to seek to live a comfortable life. This life worthy of the calling can't be about knowledge with no zeal. This life worthy of the calling has got to be something that we're really striving upward for that can only be found if we trust the process, that we take part in the process, that we don't have disdain for the process because I got burned before. You know, that's another thing. Sometimes we say, well, you know, last time I really trusted someone, they burned me. Good, you got something in common with Jesus now. I've been burned too. I've gotten bad advice. Guess what? I still get advice. I probably just get it from more people now. <laughs> but all of us have been burned. Guess what? You burn people. So what do we decide? Well, you know, let's just all pack it up, not speak the truth in love, and just keep moving and act like we're playing Christianity. All the while, we've accepted some cheap imitation that is reflected in what is going on in the church. Let's close out with this last uh, passage. He says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. My last point is simply this. New mind, new you. Jesus did not die so that you could be the old you. I got something else for you. Jesus did not die so that you could stay and be who you are today. Jesus died so that you could be free to be who he created you to be. And I don't know about you. I don't think any of us are there yet. So Jesus is counting on us to take part in this process so that we can become more like the new self that he created us to be, that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We are created as image bearers of the Almighty. And this process helps us to reflect that more and more every day. We're called to live a life worthy of the calling. And that's a life that's striving to be the new self. Not the old self, not just who you are today self. It's God is calling you to so much more. He's not just calling us to just hang out here and play it safe. Jesus died to make us dangerous so the gates of Hades will never overcome it. He he died so that we could overcome the world, so that we could go after what God wants us to go after. But we've got to align ourselves with God, and then we've got to hold each other accountable to that. So let's seek to live a life worthy of the calling. Let's trust the process that he has set up to mature the church. And let's seek to be the new self created to be like God. Thank you, guys, and God bless